All right, y'all, let's take our sound book. Let's stand together. Take our sound book. Let's stand together. We're going to turn to 531. 531. All hail the power of Jesus' name. 531. Okay.
Charlotte. Let me, what all we got? Miss Charlotte, she's sick. Uh, her stomach's sick. Please pray for her that she'll get feeling better. Um, Donnie and his family, I know they've had sickness. Jack's been sick this week, and Linda's sick. I don't know who else is sick in their family, but pray for them. Uh, who else we got? Diane and Phyllis, yes. And your niece, yes. Anybody else with anything? Yes. Yes, y'all continue to play for my Aunt Mary Ruth. And I've got a number of unspoken prayer requests this morning, things that are very tremendously heavy on my heart. And I ask that you pray for me this morning when I preach. I need power. I need God's power on me this morning. I always do, but I especially need his hand this morning. Is there any other prayer requests? Ms. Eva, is she going to ask? I have one more Okay. Remember, we'll pray for her. God bless her and help her know that. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer, for our sins. 
Oh, 
He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And let's go to the Lord this morning in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I come to you this morning so, so needful. Lord, I need you. I need you to, Lord, to give me peace. I need you to give me calm. I need, Lord, for you to fill me. I need, Lord, for you to speak through me. I need, Lord, for you to bring to my recollection things that I've studied and thought about. Lord, help me to, Lord, to pour back in a flood what I've received in a vapor. Lord, I pray that you take me and use me for your glory. Lord, you know my heart. I want people to be saved today. I want people, Lord, that listen to this message come to Christ. Lord, I want your people here amongst us to be revived. Lord, I want you to touch all those that are sick this morning in our church. And, Lord, make them well. Lord, restore them to your fellowship. Lord God, we plead with you now. Do a work in us. Do a work in all of us. Those of us here in attendance and those who have to listen in, Father, we pray for all of them alike, that the Spirit of God might hover over us and stir in us and draw us to decision time or draw us, Father, to a point where we're brought face-to-face with our action or inaction. We're brought face-to-face, Lord, with our pleasing you or our displeasing you. Holy Spirit of God, work in us. Jar us, jolt us, draw us, bring us to decision time. Help us to understand that you you don't want us to just sit around and wait on you, Lord. You want us to get up and serve you and praise you and give you glory and not look to this world and not listen to this world and not let this world beat us down and affect us in such a way. Lord, may we keep our eyes on glory toward heaven, looking for the coming of our Savior. Father, I pray you bless me this morning. Touch me now. I need you, Jesus. Please. Use me in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's get right into it. I got Brandy Cooper this morning, so we're going to work to try to get there. Verse 19. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now, if you understand there that Paul is quoting a verse from Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29, 14. I'll give you about 10 seconds on this before I talk. If you want to turn there and look it up. Isaiah 29 and 14, he's quoting, which says, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish. And the understanding of their prudence shall be hid. Now, if you're looking at both of them at the same time, you say, now, wait a minute. I didn't say the same thing. But understand something. This is God's Bible. And if he wants to quote it, reword it, he's sure welcome to do so. It ain't for me to do that. But you know what? If God wants to do that, God's more than welcome to. You also need to realize that's going from Hebrew to Koine Greek, too. So the wording will be different. But the meaning is the same. God said, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. Now, when we read that, we need to understand something. When we read through this passage this morning, we see a lot of different wisdoms in there. There's a lot of wisdom, 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 all through this passage. And, and really, until you, that's kind of what we're talking about. We're talking about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of this world. And the, and the message, the Tyler's message, I guess, is which side are you on? Because you're on one side or the other. You lean toward the world's wisdom or you lean toward God's wisdom. One of the two. But I want to, 
And if you got a place in your Bible to write some notes, I want you to make note of this. And I want you to write two wisdoms. It may be on the leaf of your Bible, on a scratch paper, or whatever you got. Just so you can keep this as a little note to remember. And there's two different wisdoms. Number one, the first one. The first one comes from above. You can write above there. Okay. The first wisdom comes from above. Now, right underneath there, you can write number two. You can write below. The second wisdom comes from below. All right, it comes from this earth. It comes from this world. The the first wisdom is truth. It is truth. It comes from above. The second wisdom is lies. It comes from below. The first wisdom is heavenly wisdom. It comes from heaven. It comes down from God. The second wisdom is earthly. It comes from men on this earth. The first wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit of God. We get the truth, we get from the Bible, we come to the Holy Spirit. We read the Bible. The, the second wisdom is from the devil. The devil gives his wisdom to his people down here on this earth. There's a lot of people that are wise, worthy wisdom, and they don't get that wisdom from God. It comes from the devil. Uh, again, the first wisdom is God's wisdom. I think that goes without saying, but it's God's wisdom. The second wisdom, you can write down below it, is the devil's wisdom. Uh, the first wisdom, it's biblical. You put biblical slash heavenly. Again, it comes from heaven, but, I, but it's, it's biblical. The, the second wisdom is worldly. And then right out beside the the, uh, the first one, godly wisdom, it's cre- uh, creationism. You can put that out beside of it. Creationism that's taught that, that God created the world. He did it in six literal days, and he rested on the seventh. That, that, that's from God's word. God, God tells us all about that. But this world underneath that, on the second one, you put evolution, because that's certainly what this world teaches. And they push it as a religion. It's not a theory. It's a religion for them. And they believe it like a religion. And they don't want to hear anything else. Anything else to them is a lie. You know, Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool. God, that's what God tells you, man. He says there's no God. He says he's a fool. He says they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. You look amongst all the professions in this world that teach evolution. There ain't none of them doing no good. There ain't none of them doing anything that pleases God. Every one of them, they can, turn their back on God and follow after man. They're fools. The Bible talks about it in Romans 1, 22 and 23. It says professing themselves to be wise. Well, there's a lot of
try to make this look like it's a human, and they try to say this was a man when he was really an ape, and all this. They, 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 they hold up those skulls. They say, see, this, this is the missing link. Oh, this is the greatest thing. When it's, just, when, when it's somebody that put pieces of a pig together and called it a human. Pieces of a pig together. Now, listen, and it ain't the Lucy. Isn't that cute? But what, what's, they, they worship this idea. They worship the lies of, of, of Charles Darwin. And Charles Darwin, Mr. Charles Darwin, he was a, he was a, uh, he was a, uh, well, he was a, 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 I believe is the religion that he followed. But they, they, they didn't, they don't believe in the God of the Bible. They don't believe in that. They, they believe, they believe in, in, in man. They believe in the power of man. They believe in the divinity of man. The Bible says in, in Psalm 62, verse 9, it says, Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Men of high degree. Oh, you say, well, I've, oh, I've got all kinds of degrees. I went to school. I studied all this biology and, and all the different sciences. And man, I've got all these degrees. I'm a doctor in this and a doctor in that. But yet they're preaching lies. They're preaching a, 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 a religion of lies. they got a PhD. Amen? That's all that is. They they got no they got no truth in them. Proverbs fifteen twenty four through twenty six. The Bible says the way of life is above to the wise. In other words, we're looking toward heaven, Amen. That he may depart from hell beneath. That's the way of life. It's not through a university, through through some big school somewhere. No, the way of life is to is to God, Amen. Through the through the Word of God, it's above, Amen. Heavenly wisdom that he may depart from hell beneath. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Don't you know when God looks down, he sees men down here saying, there is no God. You came from a monkey. You, 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 you have evolved from primordial slime that, that, that created a lizard or amoeba that came up. And that became a frog, and that became a monkey, and that became Y'all know that old place. I ain't got time to go through it. I once I was a monkey swinging in a tree, and now I'm a professor with a Ph.D. and all that. But, <clears throat> but you know, when God looks down, he sees things like philosophy. Philosophy. Where does that come from? It comes from humanism. That's the, that's the worship of man worshiping himself, thinking that he's something. Man making himself out to be something that he's not. He's foolishness. Bible says in Proverbs twelve fifteen, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but in the heart of the unaccountable. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Back to seventeen hundred, they said evolution says, you know, the world is billions of years old. And now, or, or back then, I guess they might have said it was even maybe hundreds of thousands years. But then they said it was billions. And then you get on up there in more modern times, now they say it's billions. They don't know how old it is. You know how old it is? I tell you how old it is. About 7,000 years old. That's what God's Word teaches, and God's Word is true. Amen? I, I, I can't give you an exact date, but I can tell you, 
children and over 7,000 years old because that's God's plan, 7,000 years. It shows you that if you look at the Bible, you can't help but see that. But philosophy is the, the, it's the religion of fools. Check the big brain theory. Somewhere back under, a man came up with a theory. He said, you know, it must have been that there was absolutely nothing. And then one day, nothing just went. And everything came out of it. Nothing blew up. Can you imagine that? There was nothing in an explosion. Well, that's smart there. You know, I go around every day worrying about nothing exploding again, aren't y'all? I mean, if it, if it happened before, it surely could happen again. So, what do you got in your hand? Nothing. Well, hey, watch out. It might blow up. Create a universe. You never know. It's foolish. The wisdom of this world is foolish. Proverbs 14, 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. Prudent means cautious or careful. The wisdom of the man that's cautious or careful wants to understand God's way of doing things. And a careful look at, at Genesis chapter 1, it reveals that God made a confession. God made a confession in Genesis chapter 1. He said, hey, y'all, I did it. It's me. I'm the one. I'm supposed to have happened. He admits to the whole thing. There's no mystery. There's no need for any other religion. God has already admitted it. He is the creator. He did it. God's way is intelligent design. Anybody here got watched on this morning? My dad, if somebody wasn't watching. Nobody got a watch? Anybody got, who's got a watch? Anybody? Nobody's got a watch. Anybody got a cell phone? Hold it up and see it. All right. <clears throat> Do you think that cell phone made itself? Huh? You think, it, you think it found all the parts for itself and put itself together and, and found a case and put itself together and just magically found its way to y'all? No. Somebody, Samsung, Galaxy, Apple, Google, somebody made your phone, didn't they? Yeah, your cell phone has a creator. No. The, the songbook. I can't imagine that somewhere in a warehouse, pages all landed on the table, and the ink happened to land on it, and the cover showed up, and it all went together, and there it was magically a book. When I look at that book, you know what I tell me? Somebody made this book. When I, when I drive down the street and I see buildings, and I'm passing in my vehicle, you know what it tells me? There's a builder somewhere, did it? Right? When I go by, I see a garden, and only
DNA, which has not been discovered that long, but the building blocks, the ladder of our information that makes up our body. Listen, that proves that there's a God. That proves intelligent design. These things cannot land together and stack together carefully to make you and I and make our hair color and our eye color and, and make us exactly what we are. That's God. Verse, nine, verse 20, listen, it says, where is the wine? Where is the scum? Where is the theater of this world? Who's going to stand up and show God? Amen? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? This world's wisdom looks like a three-ring circus right now. This world's wisdom is it. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're born with, with male women, but if you feel like a girl, even if you're a little, little kid, you know, we shouldn't make that happen. That's the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom says we look very This is what feels right to you. This world's crazy. This world's absolutely gone nuts. You know, hey, you want you want to you want to have sex out of wedlock, get pregnant, just kill us. Maybe I'm you want to. And feel good about it, girl. That's what this world's wisdom says. It calls girls to be murderers, calls women to be murderers. It encourages them. It cheers for them to murder. I think it's a travesty, and this is what this message is. I think it's a travesty that a woman can choose to murder her child, and, and she's congratulated. And, and if the man who got a pregnant chooses not to pay child support, then he gets put in jail. Something ain't right there. Something ain't right. Well, again, that's this world's wisdom. That's this world's wisdom. First Corinthians three nineteen. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. That's what it says. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Millions or billions of years of evolution, evolving from monkeys, saving the planet, and we're saving the planet, y'all. We're gonna save the planet. We can't save money. How are we gonna save the planet? Global warming. Oh, God, what are going to do? Oh, we're going to space. Yeah, right. God laughs at us. I think God sits in heaven and just laughs at us, a bunch of idiots down here. It's like all the things we're going to do, puffing our chests out, trying to be something we're not. First Corinthians 2, 15, uh, 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Again, the, the, the person in this world, the fool, he looks at you and me and says, well, that Bible is a bunch of nonsense. I guess a bunch of foolishness in there. I wouldn't follow that. A bunch of do's and don'ts will tell me what to do and not to do. Uh, that's just a bunch of words put in there written by a bunch of men. It's just foolishness. That's the way the natural man looks at God. That's the way the natural man looks at Christianity. He, the he can't understand the things of God because he doesn't have the Spirit of God living in him. He's lost and he's dead and he's sin and it's foolishness to him. But you see, that's just the same way as we look at him. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 27, an unjust man is an abomination, uh, an unjust man is an abomination to the just. We look at somebody who's alive and just throw away and kill the devil and we look at that and go, yuck. That's horrible. How in the world can somebody live like that? And they look at us the same way. You see, the world's wisdom and heavenly wisdom are compatible. They don't go together at all. You can't coexist in somebody either. You, that's why the Bible says that any man love the world, but love the Father is not easy. 
you can't have it both ways. Somebody say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm sad in the fence. No, you're not. You're lying. That's what you did. First Corinthians 2, 6 and 7. How be it? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect. That means mature. Paul's talking about, he's talking about Christians in the churches. He said, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect and mature, yet not the wisdom of this world. He said, we're not in there trying to give you what your philosophers, what your... And listen, he's in Corinth where there's plenty of philosophers. There's plenty of teachers. He's been in Athens right up the road where there was a myriad of teachers. And they all like to get up on Mars Hill and do their speaking and try to sound important. He said, listen, I don't have enough of that. I don't want the wisdom of this world. He said, I, we don't come with the wisdom of this world, nor yet of the princes of this world. We don't speak what the government tries to tell us to speak to you either. He said, that comes to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world and our glory. Hidden wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is a mystery. What's Paul saying there? We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. What is that mystery? You know what he's talking about there? It's pretty easy, but I, I, you may not get it right off the bat. Revelation 13.8 tells us that Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, why? And, and that's the mystery he's talking about, you see. God hid that knowledge from the devil. You know, the devil tried to kill Jesus all down through the Old Testament. He tried to wipe out his bloodline. But he didn't, the devil didn't understand that Christ was going to go to the cross. He didn't know. Listen, I'm going to tell you he didn't know. Listen, I'm going to prove it to you. God hid that from the devil. That's the mystery that Paul is talking about there. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, that's continuing on what I just read about the wisdom of God, or God ordained before the, wisdom, before the world unto our glory. It says, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, had the, had, the, had the princes of this world knew, they said, oh, no, we can't crucify him. No, that's what the devil's saying, you see. Pilate, Pilate wouldn't have washed his hands had he known who he really was. The devil wouldn't, the devil, the devil wouldn't have let Jesus die. The devil would have been his best friend if he realized it was going to be his ruination. Second Corinthians one twelve says, "For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you, word." He said, "I thank God when we came down to you. I rejoice in this. That, that I, I have a clear conscience about this." We, we came down there. We weren't trying to impress nobody. We weren't trying to, to, uh, to be boastful. We weren't trying to put on a big show. We weren't trying to feel super impressive, look all big and mighty. No, listen, we come down there trying to get at your sensibilities or anything. We didn't come with fleshly wisdom. We just came with the grace of God. He said, we just had the grace of God. Thank God. We didn't, we didn't need this world. We had God. God's wisdom is from above. It's from the Spirit of God. That's all a person needs. They don't need to, they don't need to get educated in this world. They just need God. They need the Word of God. Twenty one. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now let me explain. There's two wisdoms mentioned in that verse. All right, the first one is the wisdom of God. He's saying 
for, for after that in the wisdom of God. He said, all right, all this is in the wisdom of God. The world by wisdom knew not God. So since the world by wisdom knew not God, the world, that's worldly wisdom. The world, according to its own worldly wisdom and its worldly ways, they couldn't find God. Take an example in the time of Noah. He's the only one that knew God. The rest of them didn't. In Christ's time, this world was, was far from knowing God. It really had done turned its back on God. Even, even Judaism had basically turned its back on God. He said, the world by wisdom knew God and knew not God. It pleased God with the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. On the other side of Anona, right after you pass through by that last convenience store, right there on the left, right on the other side of the fence, there's a sign, church sign, that asks a question. It says, is God satisfied with your life? And another way to ask that question would be, are you pleasing God with your life? I want to give you three things real quick in the Word of God that says it pleases God. Okay? The first one's right there in verse 21. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Now, it's, I always look at it this way. It's kind of foolish to me to think that people get up and get dressed up and come up here and listen to somebody bark at them for an hour about everything they're doing wrong. Now, that sounds foolish to me, but that's, that's how God designed this thing. God designed that, that, that it looked foolish to the world, and it does look foolish to the world. <clears throat> but preaching the gospel, is it pleases God. When, when, when I give the gospel, I know I'm pleasing God. Listen, that ain't just for preachers to do. Ple- preaching, preaching the gospel, is, uh, when, when somebody does it outside the pulpit, that's witnessing. That's proclaiming. It's testifying, giving a testimony. That's for every believer. That ain't just for preachers. That ain't just for Sunday school teachers. That's for every believer, and that pleases God. You want to please God with your life? Tell people about Jesus. That pleases God. You say, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. No, I please God. Well, get busy doing that. That's one thing you can do for sure. What else pleases God? Another thing that pleases God, uh, we find in Hebrews 9.22, which is the blood atonement. The Bible says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Now, you say there ain't nothing about being pleased in there, but God says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So sins being remitted means they've been forgiven. The blood is applied. That pleases God and satisfies God, and God forgives. So we can say that there's pleasing God in that verse. Because when Christ died, it pleased God. It pleased God to bruise him. And it pleased God to, to allow Christ to suffer for our sins. That pleased God. So the blood atonement, the blood being applied, there's always, without the shedding of blood, there has to be blood. It's always been blood all the way from the garden, all the way forward. There always has been blood, and that's what pleases God. So preaching the gospel and the blood atonement, both of those please God. Another one that pleases God is in Hebrews 11, 6, which says, but without faith. It's impossible to please. For he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, preaching the gospel, the blood atonement, 
can save. That's how people get saved, isn't it? That's what pleases God. You know, that's why God sent Jesus into the world that people might get saved. Amen. So that's what pleases God. That's what God's all about. That's God's wisdom. Hey, let's get many people saved so they don't go to hell, and we'll all go to heaven, and we'll have eternity together. That's God's wisdom. I think that's pretty, that's pretty good stuff. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, I, I, I don't know if that's a question to y'all in here because I know your testimony, but I'd ask it to everybody else listening to me. Are you one of them that believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins like the Bible says? Do you believe that they buried him in a tomb, that three days and nights later he arose just like the Bible says? You know what? The Bible says that's enough to save you. That's all it takes to save you. You believe and trust that he died for you, was buried, and rose again. That'll save you. Amen? Again, Jews first were getting saved into the church. They were looking at who he was. He's their Messiah. They had to believe on him as their Messiah and trust that he died for them. But we look back and we look at what he did, and we know that he died for us. He did everything that was necessary. Please, God, and it's enough for us to be saved with. Amen? Let's continue on. Verse 22. I got to hurry. I ain't going to make it to 12, so y'all just going to have to hang on. But this is going to roll here in a minute. You think, boy, you'll never make it to 31. It's a long way, but it's not that far. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. I'm going to tell you, this is a very important verse in the Bible for understanding the Bible. Now, understand again, the Jews require a sign. It doesn't say the Jews request a sign. It says the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So signs are for Jews, okay? Wisdom is for Greeks. That's what the Bible teaches. All right? Now, let me throw this at you. I'm going to give you a little preview later on as we go, and we get a little further down. Signs are not for modern New Testament churches. And you know what the favorite sign gift is, right? Tongues. Tongues was the fa- is the favorite. And tongues, by the way, and I'm not trying to go down a rabbit trail, but I just want to say, tongues was for the unbelieving Jew. What is it, the church? was for the unbelieving Jew. Signs are for the Jews. Let me show you. Uh, Exodus chapter 4. Listen to this. And Moses answered and said, he's talking to God here, he says, but behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, what is, in that, what is that in thine hand? And he said, it's a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. I thought, I always thought that was hilarious. <laughs> God did it. He still ran off. Amen. And the Lord said to Moses, "Put forth thy hand, and take it by the tail." Now that took some place right there. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they might believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, "Put now thine hand into thy bosom." So he went like this right here. But his hand is bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was as leprous. It was as leprous as snow. And he said, put thy hand again into thy bosom again. And he put his hand in his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. Behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And he shall came, it, shall, it shall come to pass that they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass that they will not believe also these two signs, Neither hearken unto thy voice, and I shall take the water of the river and pour it on the dry ground, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood on the dry ground. Again, Jews 
require signs. Signs also the Jews who believe. Jesus said in John 4, 48, listen, then said Jesus unto him, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Jews require a sign. John 6, 29 and 30. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we might see, may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Now, again, we're not talking about the church age. We're not talking about us. We're not talking about us right now in the New Testament era. But the Jews was all about works, not faith. Because it's a sign. What are you going to do? What work are you going to do that we believe? We all believe when we see it. Okay? Works, not faith. I'll give you another example. When he came into the room, they were all gathered together, and he walked through the wall and came in there. What Thomas say? He said, except I see the nail prints in his hands and his feet, I will not believe. He had to have a sign. Jews require signs. But the Gentiles are about faith, not about works. Okay? <coughs> Another place I'm going to get to real quick. Mark 16, 14 through 18. There's another place where signs are involved. After he appeared unto the leaven as they sat at meat, and they upbraided him, and, and I'm sorry, after he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Verse 17 says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Y'all heard me speak tongues? Nope. You ever seen me drink any drink mine or, or, or cyanide up here to prove that I'm a man of God? Okay. Y'all ever seen me pick up a rattlesnake and handle it in here in church? Why ain't I doing all that? Right there in the Bible? Can I give you some wisdom? Who was Jesus speaking this to? Were there any Gentiles amongst that crowd sitting there that day? Who were these men? These were apostles. What were they fixing to do? They were fixing to start preaching the church. You know what? There wasn't a Gentile in the church. So why are they working signs? Because they're reaching you who have to have a sign. Okay? I know this is deep stuff, but I'm, I'm trying to help you here. Because I can tell you, for years, I struggled with this process. I why did God put that there? That don't make sense. Why would he put that there? But if you understand the timeline, you understand what's going on, you realize, wait a minute, God dealt differently with the Jews. So, again, that's why that's that way. So, in Corinthians 12, 12, Paul said, Truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you, and all patience in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Now, you remember when Paul was... Paul was uh, Working and, and people coming to him and they're sick and he's taking handkerchiefs and giving them handkerchiefs. They're taking them and then people just touching handkerchiefs and they're eating. Okay, that's signs. Now, now you say, well, why is he doing that? Well, he's an apostle. He saw the Lord. Said, there are only two requirements. Amen. They said the Lord called you and you see him. You 
see him alive, and he and, and he and you witnessed his everything that he did. Well, Paul's been there the whole time. God called him an apostle. Now, Paul is our apostle. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. But he tells them, he says, now, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you, but I want you to notice the difference from years later. Second Timothy 4.20 says, Erastus, this is the last chapter of Paul's writings, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus, and I left at Miletum sick. Now, either Paul's a lousy apostle, just walked out well. I mean, I ain't got time full of Trophimus. I'm getting out of here. He's sick. I know he's sick, but I ain't got time to deal with him. Either, either he was just very crude, nonchalant, rude, ugly, and Trophimus, or he didn't have healing power anymore. Why did he tell Timothy to take a little wine for thy stomach and not open infirmity? Why did he just heal him? Why? Because he didn't have the healing power anymore. Why? Because it wasn't necessary anymore. Why? Because the Jews had rejected Jesus. And now just the Gentiles getting saved for the most part. So there was no more need for the sign gift. And there are, listen to me, there are no apostles left today. I know there's churches, supposedly churches, that say they got apostles so-and-so, and then a lot of times it's a woman. And there's a lot of mess going on today, but there's no apostles. And I'll tell you, I can tell you so, because John said so in, in AD 90. He said so in, in Revelation 2, too. Listen to what he says. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. John knew there were no more apostles. And he listen, the Lord don't went back to heaven. He called Paul. Paul was called an apostle. He wasn't born to, as one born out of time, he said. But there were no more, and there are no more. Also, but here's the thing. They were able to do the sign. But signs are not done. They still signs going to happen. And some of them, look here, some of them ain't going to come from God. Worldly wisdom will follow some signs, too. Second Thessalonians, we just read not too long ago, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Listen to this. Even him who's coming, even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Like I said, God's not done with signs. In the near future, God's going to once again deliver Israel from captivity. Jacob's 70th week, the tribulation period, time of Jacob's trouble, whatever you want to call it, it's a very near event. And God is going to unleash vials and bowls of signs, and they're going to be dumped out on this world, but they're all judgments on this world. But those signs are coming. But I tell you, with all the things that's going on right now, with all this supposed UFO stuff, Listen, there's going to be all kinds of things, all kinds of wonders and signs and miraculous things, and they'll use that blue bean technology. They'll, they'll, put, they'll put a picture of Jesus in the sky before it's over with. They'll make it look like horses riding in the sky before it's over with. You'll see, you'll see angels coming down. Ain't no telling what we'll be liable to see before it's all said and done. They can make it look like anything they want to. I don't know if y'all know they're able to do that, but not to, I mean, just several years, probably 10 years ago, I remember hearing about a concert where they actually had projected Michael Jackson up on the stage with the performers. They had him up there dancing and singing like he was up there alive. But, I mean, it's just 
a holographic image. They can do that. Believe me, there will be all kinds of things that are going to pretend to be signs of God. I got, I'm got. i going to hurry. I'm going to try my best. I, I'm almost done. I know it don't seem like it, but I am. He said, verse 3, that we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, a stumbling block, and under the Greeks, foolishness. The Jews reject Jesus. They reject him. They look at him as the failed usurper of the Romans. He came trying to overthrow him, and he failed, and they crucified him. The Gentile world looks at it as a religious fairy tale that we're leaning on. Verse 24, but under, but under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The Jews and Gentiles alike are part of the church. I've known some Jewish Christians, not known too many, but I've known a few. Galatians 3, 28 and 29 tells us there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. He's the power of God, and he's the wisdom of God. Amen. Praise God. He's the power of God unto salvation. And, and, and again, God sent Christ to do something that nobody expected. And Christ, Christ did what was necessary, and Christ is all we need. Verse 25 through 28, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. By the way, God's not foolish or weak. But that's just that's just language to help us to understand what it's trying what it's trying the message is trying to convey to us. It's saying that it's saying that if God was weak and if God was was uh, was foolish, then His would be stronger than men's is anyway. It's just comparative language. He said, "For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many noble are called. Like I said, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick." God doesn't choose fancy, beautiful, or elegant. He doesn't choose the powerful or the connected. God chooses uneducated country preachers and churches. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of this world, which the things which are despised have God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. It's, it's nobodies that God uses. God uses nobodies. He specializes in nobodies. He, he picks up t- people that say, somebody says, nobody would ever use somebody like him. And that's the one God will use. Because God God will prove everybody wrong. God will take somebody that everybody else thinks is, is, is worthless, and he'll take them and do something great with them. Again, I think, I think back, I think, I think of men like a Billy Sunday who was a drunkard. He was a drunkard baseball player, played for the Chicago White Sox, and he went to the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois. He went to preach it, and he spent the rest of his life trying to win people to Jesus Christ. And, and they, they put his hand on a, on a postcard. He said, the hand, the hand that shook the hand of a million converts. They said over a million people walk what they call the Southeast Trail, and those revival meetings come to Christ. Now, God used a nobody. You may say, oh, he was a baseball player. Back then, that wasn't nothing. That wasn't no TV. That was, he, he wasn't making much money doing that. It wasn't much to that. You know, I think of uh, D.O. Moody. God took a little stuttering boy who, who wasn't who was basically a street kid. He wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't fancy. He wasn't nothing about him. I mean, people still, after he preached, they still criticized him because he played ball. He probably talked about it like I do. And, and just country and, and, and 
stuttered and everything else. But you know what? God took him and done great things with him. You know, it, again, it's nobody. It's, it's despised ministry that struggle to keep the doors open, depend solely on God to do so. You know, those are the people that God truly uses. Those are the people. It ain't the great big cute buildings and the smiley guys with the only white teeth on the billboards and the perfect $1,000 suits. It's not those guys. Listen, those guys unpack parking lots. They can fill up every room. But they ain't saying nothing. They're speaking what the world wants to hear. They're tickling the ears. God uses nobodies, and God certainly used a nobody when he called me. Verse 29 tells us why, that no flesh should glory in his presence. There ain't no such thing as a self-made man of God, a man of God. There's no such thing. You know, if you're anything, God lifted you up. That, it, it ain't anything to do with you. And if you think you're anything, you're absolutely a fool. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. And, you know, it's okay to be a nobody. You may be a nobody in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes, the Bible says in verse 30, but if him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. See, when God looks down at, at me and you, he sees the imputed righteousness of his son. He doesn't see my faults and failures and flaws and yours. He looks down and he sees his son. He sees wisdom when he looks down at me and you because he sees the wisdom of his son. He sees righteousness because he sees the righteousness of his son. He sees sanctification and holiness because he sees the holiness of his son, and he sees the redemptive work that he's done in us. He sees that we're made whole. That's what he sees. When he looks down at us, he sees Jesus. Amen? Praise God for that because he loves his son, and he loves me, and he loves you because we are in his son. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my wretched soul. Thank you for washing me white as snow. Thank you for making me worthy when I wasn't worthy. That according as it is written, he that glorious, let him glory in the Lord. Don't brag on what you've done. Don't brag on who you are. Don't brag on the accomplishments that you've accomplished. Brag on God. Give him glory. Don't suit your Lord. Know who you are. Let people know what he's done in you. Tell people, be wise. Be wise. Be wise. Please glorify the Lord and glory. He deserves it. Be wise. Justify. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be wise. This morning, if you got something on your heart, take it to God this morning. Don't hold on to it anymore. Don't hold on to it. 337. 337. Don't hold on to it. Let God have it. This world, listen, don't let the fears of this world get a hold of you. Don't let the trials. 
Thank <laughs> you. 